All right, friends, this is podcast lucky number seven with Brittany Denson. Again, my name's Drew Hassan. Uh, this is the Recovery Lab podcast. I start off in the same fashion generally every time. Please, y'all are doing pretty good. I'm getting a few more comments. Maybe uh, I could do with some more, some input. I love the constructive criticisms. If you have somebody you want to nominate to be on the podcast or a suggested topic, I'm all ears. Uh, I usually tell people to comment with useful things that they know about, uh, like uh, the Pines giving away Narcan. But what's the data? Okay. Uh, I know that uh, the McCoy House has a benefit concert series. It's Thursday, October the 20th at 6 p.m. at Dueling Hall. Uh, you can listen to some awesome music, see, meet some awesome people. They have a silent auction, food, coffee, tea, bar. They, no martinis, but uh, it's $25 a head. It's well worth it. I think all the, benef- all the uh, proceeds go to benefit the McCoy House. So, again, I appreciate uh, Danny and Denise for their financial support, and I thank both of you. We, we should have the McCoy House mixer in here in the next week or two. So, Denise, I thank you. Um, if anybody else wants to donate, my cash tag is cash tag Daniel Hassan. And so, uh, that's enough of the introductory information. Without further ado, Brittany Denson. Thank you for agreeing to do this. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you for having me. All right. So, we had a little bit of preliminary discussions before I turned the recorder on. Tell people who you are, how you got to be here. Well, I'm Brittany. Uh, If God sees fit for me to see the day, I'll have seven years of sobriety on December 29th of this year. Um, Since we're talking about recovery as a whole, I would say that I have recovered from a list of things like sobriety or mental health, trauma, so... And I, I'm loving what you're doing here, so thank you. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. What do you do during the day? What do you, where do you work? What do you do? Who do you promote? I'm a, I'm a simple person during the day. I actually, I didn't tell you this, but I work at George's Museum Cafe by the Agriculture Museum. I don't think you're the only person in recovery to work there. No, not at all. And it's crazy how I got there. So... I do work at Gray's House for Women at night, and I had some extra time. I don't have kids. I'm not yet married. So having that extra time, and it's crazy whenever you develop a relationship with a higher power, what he can do for you. So I was very specific one night on a prayer, and I was like, God, I have this extra time, you know, idle hands. and. I was like, can I please just have a day job for like three hours a day, Monday through Friday? And then he put someone on my heart. I reached out to them, and then the next day they were like, can you come talk to the manager? So, yeah, Monday through Friday, I'm working there three hours a day, and it's just crazy. Asking you shower seat, huh? Yes, yes. And it's nice to get into a more uh, normal environment, as we say, and... I guess the rooms of 12 step that the people who aren't like us are more normal, well-balanced, so it's been nice to get into that because my life is, I live and breathe recovery, so. 
something. Well, it certainly comes through. I mean, you and I aren't like number one homies or anything. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, you seem to live a genuine and authentic life on Facebook. I know those things can kind of be misleading from time to time, but you wouldn't have stuck around as long if you were full of shit yeah. on there. <laughs> sad way to live. You know, live. that thin veneer wears out quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we, we, we know a lot of people, you know, out in the world that, you know, live that way, but it's nice to see them blossom and flourish into people like authentic people themselves so. yeah all right so I, I didn't go into detail with you about this while we were talking before i turned the recorder on but i've kind of got a little outline or matrix i don't really want to dictate what all we talk about so i mean if you feel like talking about something talk about it okay. but i do have some general questions um so how did your addiction begin well, I carried a lot of childhood trauma, <clears throat> so I didn't. I had a crappy childhood. Um, you want me to start from the beginning, or I mean, okay. wherever you want. So I, I had a pretty crappy childhood. My parents divorced at a very uh, early age, to where I didn't start developing memories. So growing up, it was I can remember in the beginning that. I would go to my dad's on the weekends, but I remember having this like abundance of love and affection from him. And then I would go to my mom's and experience the same thing. So early on, I developed that these two people loved me, you know, and showed me so much affection. But with my mom, her alcohol progressed really quickly after the divorce and she started not treating me as such and it happened the same way with my dad. My dad remarried and then the love and affection grew less and I noticed that. So remembering that even till this day it's just it's profound that I can look back and know my feelings and I wouldn't know that today if I wasn't sober and because 29 years I carried this role of, of victimization and everything so but so at eight years old uh, I had yet moved in with my dad but I was there on a weekend and me and my brother we'd be real mean to each other pick at each other and I can remember uh, at eight was my first drink and my dad had such an influence on me because he was this strong man. He, he had a construction company and I was a daddy's girl. So I, I turned from a mama's girl to a daddy's girl and I can remember him telling me, uh, go get me a beer out of the cooler. His, his favorite thing was that Budweiser. <laughs> so he always had a Budweiser in his hand. But, um, and when I did, my brother said, open it and drink it. And just taxing yeah, a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I can even remember at eight feeling like I'm not supposed to do this. But I did it with the thought of my dad loves this thing. You know what I mean? So yeah. even when I took a drink, I didn't like it. But I, I loved it because my dad loved it, you know. So going on, I wasn't a very bad child. And I think at 13... 
was the first time that I got caught up with people who were drinking. I wasn't drinking, but I was caught up with them. And from there, whenever, when I say parents, I'll refer now to my stepmother and father, because by this time my mom's drug addiction had progressed. And um, so when my parents had to come pick me up from this neighborhood lake that we all got caught with alcohol, even though I wasn't drinking, did you grow up here in town, in Jackson? Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in Rankin County, and then when my dad remarried, moved to Jackson, and then we moved to Bolton, and I started going to Clinton schools. So I started going to Clinton schools after fifth grade. So, but um, so after we got caught in that group, you know, my mom, I started being labeled like I was gonna grow up and turn into my mom and because of that love of love and affection I guess it was an attention seeking I always wanted love from somebody the people who say that they love me I want you to show me that you love me you know <coughs> and so after that after the criticism of saying you know you're going to turn into your mom you're just like your mom I had this attitude of of I'll show you, you know, who I am. And so I remember smoking pot at 13, and then I ended up trying cocaine at 14, and then slowly it was meth at 15. And I can remember going to school in ninth grade. And this is just crazy because my fiance has kids that, you know, his oldest girl's 12 years old, but. Uh, smoking meth on the way to ninth grade and I wasn't the smartest kid in school and I don't you think you do meth on the way to school yeah yeah that's crazy maybe not every day but sure. I can remember a time where it was one of those weekend events that turned into a school day on yeah. Monday you know but anyways but I'm not I wouldn't consider myself the smartest person in the room at all times. I I failed seventh grade. I went to summer school in eighth grade. I had to go to summer school in ninth grade. Um, and that might have been the effects of me starting to drink and drug. But well, that certainly wouldn't help in anything. Absolutely not. Um, but then I guess my parents didn't know how to help me, so my dad. If my dad didn't do anything right, he was a good provider. He financially, I mean, he provided everything that I need, but it became to a point where they could not help me. So it was easier to let me stay at friends' houses, even weeks at a time. And no telling what would happen at those friends' houses. But um, so my mom would come in and out of the picture. By this time, my mom was in her own addiction yes. and my grandmother that lived in Hattiesburg would let my mom come <clears throat> every once in a while and one of those periods that my mom was doing okay she invited me to come live with her and that was after the ninth grade year in school and I went there and she ended up wanting to get me on medication and went to the doctor put me on antidepressants and my dad wasn't for that so so I ended up 
living in Hattiesburg uh, and go trying to go to Hattiesburg High School in 10th grade and the I think it was the second day of school I got assaulted <clears throat> a, a guy had whipped me from behind and I I defended myself in other words <laughs> and then they I can't remember if I got expelled or what but I, I didn't go back and slowly but surely I tried to go to the Camp Shelby youth program I tried that three times couldn't pass a drug test uh, and eventually I moved back into my dad's house and he they helped me get to GED classes and I took that GED I think it was three times before you had to wait a certain period and I finally passed that that third go and uh, so but being accused the the trauma comes from <clears throat> the verbal abuse that I received as a child and it was the reminders of you're just like your mom you're just like your mom and the more that I heard that it was like at least my mom ain't around you know like she had enough respect for me that she didn't come and go come and go like I see a lot of like even working in this field it's like you see a lot of the parents come and go and it was easier for me for her just to not be around you know mm -hmm. and so not focusing on her I started looking at my dad like well you're just like my mom you know so around 17 years old I had this I had this confidence about me like don't be like your parents you know growing up it was all about them and the love and affection and then all of a sudden it's like I don't want nothing to do with them I don't want to be like them and uh, so I went to when I got my GED I went to barber school at Heinz Community College and I was only 17 and I remember having a conversation that and in a few months I would have turned 18 the teacher let me in anyway so and that gave me a career to you know put myself behind but things had gotten really bad with my addiction that I started that geographical change oh, yeah. and my brother TJ he lives in he lived in Memphis still lives in Memphis and he reached out to me you know supporting me and telling me you know come here I'll help you and he did help me in the best of ways but even though I was experimenting as a child so many years with drugs that and I started focusing even in hair school like I don't want to be like my parents I didn't I didn't drink because I thought the cause of my parents downfall was alcohol and so I didn't really drink till I turned 21 after I moved to Memphis and then my brother got a whole limousine and threw a whole party and then I ended up getting mad drunk and I loved the way that it <laughs> loved the way it you know I loved the how it how it produced the effects in other words and it went on from there my alcoholism got really bad and I started noticing then that I was drinking to escape certain feelings so and I didn't like that so I made another geographical change uh, moved back to Hattiesburg with my grandmother and not even a 
few weeks after I moved, uh, my worst nightmares came true. My mom got put in rehab there and she started calling and, you know, telling me she was doing better. She's reading her Bible. She's doing all this stuff. And by that time, it was one of those relationships that you just write off, you know? And it, it made me mad, but it gave me a reason to escape again. And by this time, I was managing uh, sport clips in Hattiesburg. And I had done that for a couple years. And I had worked on and off at other salons, but, and it's crazy that I, I was a successful hairdresser for about seven years. I mean, I had a clientele and I had a social life within uh, my career, but looking at my mom and facing that trauma just ate away at me, so. I see what you're saying about how when she was just away from you, it's out of sight, out of mind, mm -hmm. and now all of a sudden you're faced with her coming in and out of your life and talking all crazy shit. Yeah, it was a lot to deal with. Her actions and words aren't matching mm -hmm. and causing problems for you. So I developed resentments towards recovery and towards 12-step and stuff. But uh, so I don't know exactly when I crossed that invisible line and ended up getting into a relationship. So all that time I had become a fun I was a functional alcoholic and a functional drug addict and you know being able to still work and live my life and have friends and stuff but this relationship it was just one one twist where I learned how to use those drugs in a different way you know and and it's so crazy that I forgot who I was whenever I mean, just in, injecting drugs, you know? It's like you forget who you are. And so I'm not going to go so much into, like, the actual addiction, but it became to where I, I accepted death. Like, I thought death was my destiny. And, um, but, so I'm not, and I'll, I'll say this, I told you, I don't do, I don't do labels and stuff like that. And even growing up I was so interested in like different religions and stuff like that and it got me into more of like energy healing stuff and I had did that for a few years and I saw results from it. Trying to keep your chakras aligned and yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know people who know me these days know that that works for me you know and so. You gotta get those chakras right. Yes <clears throat> yes got to get done but um and when mercury's in whatever and i thought about that <laughs> yesterday you know where's mercury right now we have six planets in retrograde right now oh, and i'm man. sitting in here <laughs> so, watch look, out usually we have one or two but right now we have six, six. yes that's hilarious but um so i forgot that part of of my life whenever I did like before moving to Memphis and all that so uh, I started thinking about that I would get locked up and then I would get out and I'd get locked up get out and I would have these charges like domestic violence disturbance of the peace and all of a sudden it was like one day I got out 
and I was walking on one side of Hattiesburg to the other going to the homeless shelters just to, to rack up some food and I noticed the way the wind blew and I remember thinking in that moment like God's telling me which direction to go and I didn't go in that direction and uh, so can I be transparent can I be? Yeah, okay. come on. So filter anything out. In that moment something uh, something re something really bad happened uh, to me and it was the first time that I got raped you know and I remember thinking afterwards that that was God you know doing something for me was protecting me and that brought up those uh, memories of the life that I used to live and the only thing I know about knew about church and you know Christianity or anything was the few years I did it living with my mom when I was a child so and that wasn't a very great experience for me so but I started focusing on that and I became really obsessed with, with it in my addiction and I thought I was this big like spiritual guru and evangelist and stuff so I started you know trying to walk to the churches and stuff like that and ask some questions and eventually it was uh I got to this homeless shelter called the field house and and this is where it brought back memories of people who say that they're they love you they're gonna help you you know and because by this time I didn't know what relapse was I didn't know what recovery was I didn't know what 12-step was and so I'd walked from Forest County Jail to the field house because I, I heard these people help people who were homeless and I stayed there for like six months they didn't let women stay there but uh, a church they were affiliated with had some rooms that they would let women stay in and I had did that for six months and nothing happened like it was only uh, they would let you come eat and stuff like that and I always asked for help the news came out they asked me to do an interview like I'm some proud homeless person <laughs> you know so and they I remember them putting me on the news and that was the first time that I felt like this shame about my situation but it was I didn't embrace that shame I was just like screw it you know and so I was sleeping at this church and I called one of my dealers and they met me right outside and that's where that started and then the insanity just progressed from I mean I was real cuckoo in my addiction and but I also remembered the way the wind blew that day and when I decided to do the drugs after six months it was like that was the first time I got on my hands and knees I went to the bathroom did what I did got on my hands and knees and asked God to just kill me you know and but it was the week following that I got locked up the second to last time <laughs> in that year and uh, I got out and I meant to do right but I but I didn't do right and my brother called me it was coming up on Christmas and my brother called me and he was like 
I have this Christmas money for you, but I don't want to give it to you. And you either give it to me or you don't. And then yeah, he's I, teasing you. Yeah, yeah. come yeah. on, man. So you always you always wonder, you know, people who had a lot of charges and people who deserve to be in prison. I, I deserve to be How in prison. How many times have you been arrested? remember i've got mug shots but yeah. <laughs> i've collected a lot of mug shot pictures because it's important to see somebody then versus now well, of course it is yeah. and it's important for people to hear well, look i mean she was out here doing this that and the other and now she's living the good life cray cray <laughs> but all right so your brother calls you teases you about his christmas money and then what happened and then i go and meet him I bet you did. <laughs> Where are you, man? So I'm by talking. this time, I was going to, I was going to Louisiana, almost every other day. Uh, so I, I became a, a dealer in Hattiesburg, and I was going to Louisiana every other day, and was counting my days. And I was on my way to Louisiana, and I stopped and got the money. And he was like, "Please don't go buy drugs with it." And I was like. Yeah. It was the first time I was able to admit to somebody, this is the life I live. I'm sorry that you don't like it, So, but I, nobody can do anything about it, you know. And I went and picked up my drugs, came back and uh, did what I did with it. And it was the next day that I just had this eerie feeling of, it was a few days later, so I think that was December 24th, and then December 28th is whenever I got arrested for the last time. And then um, <clears throat> I just had this eerie feeling. I kept seeing cop cars and stuff, and I didn't, it was like, I went to every dealer I knew. I, I picked up a lot of substances that day because I said, if God's not going to kill me, then at least let me uh, make my place being locked up. Like, I wanted to be locked up forever because there was a bed to sleep in, three meals a day. And um, so they finally pulled us over, and I believe I was set up. Uh, and I had paraphernalia hidden and stuff like that. They didn't even care to... They, they searched the car and my purse and stuff, but they didn't search me. So I knew it was a, it was an obvious situation. And, um, so me being a hairdresser, uh, and being a barber at that, I cut a lot of law enforcement in Addisburg, you know, in Addisburg. And I remember walking in and there's, I'm not going to say his name, but, uh, there was an officer that, that I knew and he was just he just like what happened and I was like I don't know you know and if he hadn't have asked me that it I wouldn't have he brought me a sense of peace when I walked in there whenever he asked me that and uh, all the paraphernalia I had and the drugs that I had on me I had uh, um, an ounce of marijuana in my pocket and I just took it out and gave it to him. He was like, that's an automatic five year, you know, 
And I'm like, I know. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And he asked me if I wanted to make my phone call, and I said, yeah. And then I had that just peace over, like, overwhelming peace that I'm going to be okay, you know? And, and it's almost like you were looking for jail to save you yeah. from you. Well, I knew that that was, that was a divine intervention. I knew that. And so I called my mom, and I just apologized, you know. I just apologized for the hell that I put her through the past few years. And <clears throat> it was all said and done. I started withdrawing. It took 10 days, and it was as miserable as ever. But I wouldn't be sober today if I did not experience that withdrawal. That, that was something else. But So in my head, I was thinking they know everything I do. They've um, been watching me, and when I didn't even see a courtroom, but I remember being pulled in this little room and hearing my mom's voice on the other side of the door, and me thinking, "Oh, this woman's telling them everything." Mm -mm. <laughs> like, yeah. But I'm thinking she's doing me a favor, and my mom. So by this time, my mom. Uh, this was. 2015, so she had six years of sobriety. Oh, wow. <clears throat> and she went through drug court at Forest County. I got locked up twice in Forest County, but thank God it was the last place I was locked up because she was able to reach out to those people. You know, they... Did she? Did you get on drug court? I didn't. No. no. Um, and that's, what, that's the crazy part of... I owe it to Lucy Davenport. She's the drug court coordinator of Forest County. And then Judge Helfridge. He was the drug court uh, judge on that. But I, I, they offered me drug court, and I don't think it was from them. I think it was one of those case management type things where they come in and see if you're eligible and stuff. And I said, no, like, no, because I wanted to go wherever they were sending me <clears throat> for as long as I had to. And I just wanted to feel safe, you know. I did not want to be on the streets anymore. And uh, Lucy Davenport, I had, it was a different day, but got pulled into that room and she asked me about my faith. And I remember thinking, you gotta believe in something to have faith. And all I could think about was the way the wind blew that day, you know. And so she reminded me of my mom's struggles and where my mom came from and, you know, wished me luck. And then the next thing I know, I'm getting papers for a treatment center. And I was pissed. Because, <laughs> again, I had no knowledge of recovery or rehab or anything. And I didn't know that it was going to change my life. But I was even more so pissed that it was... A treatment in Jackson you know like the, all those geographical changes and trying to run away from from who I had turned into you know focusing on you know once wanting to be like your parents and then all you can think about is not being your parents and then becoming worse than your parents like that was a kick in the butt huh but um so I ended up going to Friendship Connection, and it was my father 
It was the first time I saw him in a few years. He had nothing to say, but good provider. He came and paid for the treatment. And in my head, I didn't know what my char charges were. I didn't know what I was facing. I didn't know any of that. I just knew that I was doing whatever they told me to. But um, that was a four-month program and ended up being there nine months. Like, it was so hard on my mental health. I went to the psych ward three or four times. While um, you were there? While I was there, yeah. Uh, I developed these psychotic episodes where I was talking to either God or Satan, and it was like I started carrying around a Bible and giving people messages and stuff, and it was... <laughs> like, I'm going to save you, you know? Like, I remember the director there, Miss Terry McCoo-Smith, uh, she's one of the most special people in my life today. Uh, she would tell me, even after a few years, you know, you're the only person that I could not... She would she would be working all the time on her computer, and then if I stand up, she would stop and then turn her chair over and be like, what can I do for you? She's like, you're the only person that I had to stop what I was doing and give you the attention, but that helped me. You know what I mean? She was the first person that I was like, this person says they care about me, and they're actually giving, you know, showing, showing, giving me the attention that I need at the time, but... It was drug-induced schizophrenia, and uh, I had a major identity disorder, and I had all three, anxiety, panic, and PTSD. Uh, oh, that was a lot. Let's see. I'm going to fast forward. You know, still having PTSD, it can really... It can really trigger some emotions, but I'm not going to cry. I'm such a crier. Everybody knows it. But, um, so, I say that I'm, I'm a very intelligent person, but I'm not a bright person. And asking for help, of course, is probably the hardest part of getting uh, into recovery. But thank God that he sent the right people at the right time to carry me through because I wasn't a person that was against doing things that people, you know, would ask of me. But when it was time to leave friendship, I, I wanted to stay there forever. And not you don't hear that a whole lot. I wanted to stay in rehab forever. But I had a friend, Lindsay uh, Cheney, and... I remember her referring me to Grace House for Women, and this fear of not wanting to be homeless just was so overwhelming. Yeah, it seems like you've got this this uh, this drive, you know, to find somewhere to belong, to stay that I can count on, that is predictable and stable. Yeah. And then finally being in an environment where people say they love you and actually show it, you know. Um, so I get to Grace House for Women, and that's where it was It was weird. I ended up failing four drug tests whenever I got there. And 
Alice Morgan, the director at the time, she was just like, Brittany, I feel like you're being real honest with me, but you got to show me some proof. <laughs> so, and, and I wasn't using. So I went to uh, Heinz Behavioral and asked them if there was anything they could do. And they sent off uh, my drug test. And when it got back, it was a couple of the medications that I was on was giving me false positives. So, was yeah, that kind of shit can ruin your life. It can, yeah. And I remember we thinking, had that happen at Oxford House a couple times, where people that had not relapsed and then I can't remember. We'd gotten these, you know, it's just the simple, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the the, the immediate panel. urinalysis, yeah. you know. Yeah. I'm like, well, sometimes it can test false positive for this and that. Yeah. I'm like, you can ruin somebody's life. Thank God for my experience and me working in the field because I can. I can bring light to that situation because it does happen. It does happen a lot. But uh, so Grace House uh, is a two-year program and it's based off the principles of 12-step. And so being there two years, I still, how long was I sober? I got out November 2016 at Friendship and I was about a year sober, and I still not accepted the whole 12-step thing because of the resentments I had with my mom, and it was almost like there was no way I was going to do that because my mom um, just put a bad taste in my mouth with it. So, but I remember Alice telling me, you know, either you get a sponsor or you find somewhere else to go, and the whole not me not being so bright I was at one of the meetings and one of my friends was like this is my friend and she needs a sponsor and that's whenever I got the sponsor and I am gonna break in and empty here so but um it was crazy that whenever you get this other person that you can tell your deepest darkest secrets to um you know, it opens you up because trusting people was not my was not my cup of tea by that time because everybody I had, you know, I had ended up loving or said they loved me didn't show that, you know, in return. And so I worked 12 steps, ended up really healing from that trauma very quickly. Like it was almost crazy to me, developed a relationship with a higher power, and one of the most important things for me is that I learned that my relationship, I, I call him my divine guidance, and uh, is that it's simple and it's personal. So one of the things that helped me a lot was knowing that this relationship that I have has nothing to do with anybody else, you know what I mean? And and it helped a lot, and it also brought me back to my my, my chakra alignments, <laughs> my energy healing, and um, it's just it's magnet. It's just incredible that this whole time that this divine thing that that rules this world is just steadily growing inside of me to where. I did not 
I'll show you a picture of what I used to when I what I look like when I came. Well, I've seen here. some of your before and afters on Facebook. Okay, well there you, you were, go. Pretty yeah. rough, huh? Your shoppers weren't lined yeah, up back then. Yeah, not not at all. But um, uh, I forgot what I was saying now. But well, in your story, you've you've worked through the steps and you found some healing and some redemption and. Life is moving up pretty good. So after you move, do you, how long do you stay at Grace House or do you move out of there? Uh, so they can stay up to two years. We can stay up to two years. Uh, so I did not stay for the two years. And what's crazy is that when I finally accepted that I needed help and practiced a, a new way of life, uh, doing 12-step, it was things started to happen really fast. Like, the blessings became overwhelming. Um, the whole me not being a bright person, like somebody, I didn't know where to start with trying to find out what my fines were, even if I had a driver's license. Like, I'm like driving a car. I don't ever have to do that again, you know. I've done learned how to ride the bus and do all these things. And so... First, I get a job offer from Friendship Connection, and this is where God has a sense of humor. So I start working at Friendship Connection, the treatment center I went to, and Alice let me work there, and I'm glad she did. So in that, I had two years of sobriety, and I had only been at Grace House for 12 months, so a year and somebody gave me a car. And at Gray's house, you have to save 20% of your paycheck. You pay 10% and you save 20. And I just happened to think, okay, let me call you know, this place and see if I even have a driver's license. Didn't have a driver's license. It was gonna be $780 or something. And uh, ended up seeing what my savings looked like and it was roughly around eight hundred dollars and then I was like you know that's not a coincidence and ended up getting my driver's license driving this car that somebody in the program gave to a friend of mine and my friend gave me that car that, that's huge you know it is huge and a couple months later a friend of mine at Gray's house was moving out and we ended up moving out together so I was only there 14 months so, and that's pretty profound for somebody who was cuckoo not even a year before you know well it seems like you got exactly what you wanted when you're trying to go to prison for like, the rest of your life it's crazy you found somewhere to belong mm -hmm. found somewhere to stay absolutely but in those last let's say five years doing what I have continued to do and learned in the program of 12-step. I have recovered from taking medication. I'm no longer on medication. Um, you know, I have friends. I can really, it's challenging to be friends with people and if they don't, I, I use that give me love and affection towards if you don't freely give me love and affection, I don't have to, you know, be surrounded by you anymore. I get to choose people who choose me today, and uh, and I can only hope that I can do the same for other people. <clears throat> and life today is just a huge reflection point on me. You know, 
Look, I like that. I choose people that choose me. Because yeah. don't we all the time somehow, you know, negativity and doing wrong just seems to attract negativity and doing wrong. It's exhausting. It is. <laughs> and it's exhausting to to know who you want to be today, to have this authentic uh, background about yourself and you want to give people a chance but again that that's their journey you know and you can only hope that they grow out of that stuff well after you moved out of Grace House what'd you do so I continued to work at Friendship um, I was also I'm, I'm a two-jobber type person so <laughs> I've tried to not be but it's hard for me um, and I was also working at Mississippi Industries for the Blind, and I was doing that Monday through Friday and then working at Friendship on the weekends. And the director at Friendship challenged me to go get my uh, certificate for peer support, and I learned a lot through that training and ended up getting asked to apply for a peer support position A&D at Heinz Behavioral. And I did that for a year, uh, and I tried to do the college thing. So I went one semester, ended up having to fail, like fail myself out or uh, withdraw from it. And you know, I'm not sure till this day if that's going to be my calling, <laughs> going back to college. But worked at Heinz Behavioral, received services from there when I was uh, in treatment, and. Um, was there for a year and then got offered a position at Grace House for Women. And I've been there since October 2020. And it's been the most fulfilling uh, position that I've had this far because Grace House is so unique in so many ways. And I'm not knocking off uh, Mississippi Department of Mental Health at all, but we're not, you know, under their guidelines and stuff. And uh, Alice Morgan and uh, our ex executive director Stacy and Nikita have allowed us to really conform our experiences to this program and it's just a creative way to stay sober you know um, so Grace House is a 12-step program and they can live there up to two years and they only pay 10% of what they get paid from their jobs, uh, new clients get provided their basic needs, toiletry, uh, any any basic need, food, I mean, we, we help them. And it's a place where you're required to be an independent woman and while staying sober, you know, and case management is available and Emily and Lindsay are doing a fine job right now, so, uh, but yeah. Well, is there anything, I mean, I've got a whole bunch of other questions that I can ask well, you. Well, go ahead and it, ask. Let's see. I'm not fond of just talking. And You've talking been doing a fantastic job. Awesome. You really have. Awesome. All right. I have in my outline where I have been interviewing people that, like I said, don't have some purely professional position. What do you think you do well in recovery? What are the things that you're like, okay, I do a pretty good job with this? 
loving people. Right. And I, I'm more of a personal person when it comes to sharing my experience, strength, and hope. I'm not a huge storyteller, so thank you for challenging me. So you've done a great job. Yeah, but um, I I guess just setting an example. I I really think I'm a I'm a pure person in my heart, um, and I, I just I live by example. You know, I I know that there are other people like clients and stuff that are watching me, and and it's not in a sense of they're focusing on me. It's just like if I'm helping someone, there's no way that I can just give them an opinion. You know. But I have to live by example and show others that... that well, nobody cares what you say. They care no, what you do. Absolutely. And that's been really important to me because I've, I've been able to choose those people who do the same. Well, you asked me before I, before I turned on the recorder why I got started doing this. And I really did think that if there was a way to get out people's messages and to freely admit the crazy things we did, thought, believed when our chakras weren't lined up, <laughs> that other people could hear it and think, you know, I can, I'm exactly like that. And they're not making a nightmare of their life. I mean, they seem to be happy and, you know, have uh, fulfilled lives and purpose and, you know, I, mean, I certainly have more money than I did when I was using, and I have more enjoyment. And, right. Uh, okay, I asked you what you do well, and this is the zinger. What do you do poorly? Still criticize myself, and it's more of the, you know, people in my position or the, the field I work in, you either make it in this life, make it to the top, you know, and I'm not... I'm not judging people who, you know, have higher positions or anything, but I always saw myself, when I when I went into college, it was, I had this ego about me where I was going to become a licensed, you know, therapist, and I was going to open my own facility and just do all these things, and in that experience, it really humbled me that, you know, I started begging God, like, what is my purpose in life? Like, I don't... I, I want to do something good for people and I remember feeling just sitting down and waiting for that one person to come to me to have a conversation like we're doing can change somebody's life you know and so I've criticized myself a lot about my purpose in life but I, I know my place today you know it's simple and um but it's big in the eyes of God. Look, I had talked to Kimberly about this a trillion times, about how we have to learn how to be successful. You know, I don't know how many times I've been faced with some, some adversity or some difficulty, and I'm super fearful, mm -hmm. and I'm very nearly paralyzed, you know, I, I, and I just kind of trudge through it. Yeah. And then I get to the other side, and I need to remind myself that's a complete victory. Yeah. It doesn't matter that I was super scared or uncertain mm -hmm. or, you know, obsessed about, you know, how, what a failure I am. I, I trudge through it. And trudging through is as victorious as waltzing yeah. through it and over your obstacles. Okay. You did good on the what do you do poorly question. <laughs> um, 
But I want to, I want to say something about that. Like my whole life, I was called weird. <laughs> so, and this weird word had such a negative uh, attachment to it that, you know, when I was developing a relationship with my higher power, it was one of the first things that, you know, whether we hear the voice or have a feeling, it was, it was embrace that weird. And I didn't know that <laughs> sounds weird, but it's one of my greatest aspects today. You know, like when people say that I'm odd, I know that they mean it in a different way. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, like, absolutely. An odd light in this world. Look, amen. <laughs> All right, what advice would you give some newly sober woman? Commit to it, you know. Just make stick a commitment. To it. Either either do something about it or don't, you know. Don't waste any time. It, and take suggestions. Take the suggestions. It's hard to it's hard to really have the ability to listen early on and I get that. Yeah. All right, we're very nearly at the end. All right. So the reason I put this question on here is in the hopes that whoever's on the podcast is going to come back later and we can revisit some of these things. So what goals do you have for your life, personal goals, relationship goals, spiritual goals? And I don't just mean what are you doing with your fiancé. I mean like relationships in general. Yeah. Um I want to spend more time with people. <clears throat> These last few months has become important, like the whole I choose people who choose me. Uh, I want to focus on the people who I know that care about me, and I think it's important that I spend time with them. Uh, with my energy healing stuff, uh, well, that that's with relationships. Personal is, you know, I have, I have my 12-step you know stuff in place and I'm I'm satisfied with that of course I can do more and service to others is important but for me personally it's diving deeper into my I live a more metaphysical lifestyle and not that and thank God I don't have to do drugs today <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to get out of this world but uh, I'm focusing more on that so and also finding my place in, in, in the service of others. So used to, I would overwhelm myself just trying to do everything and anything that I possibly could. But, um, and I wanted to, I, I heard some of your previous guests quoting, you know, saying their favorite quotes. And when I was working at Heinz Behavioral, I noticed that some of the people had quotes at the bottom of their email and one of my favorite quotes to this day is uh, we find ourselves when we lose ourselves in the service of others and that's a it's a quote by Gandhi mm -hmm. and that just sums up my life today you know whether it's involved in recovery outside recovery you know I know that my life will be gratified just focusing on somebody else in a sense of that reflection point so well isn't that cool how you're you can now be that love for somebody else mm -hmm. that you longed for and sought after for yeah. so long it's crazy it is crazy but it's good mm -hmm. and it's available for everybody else. absolutely 
All right, we're here at the end. Is there anything else you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? Uh, no, I don't think so. I just really appreciate you asking. Well, look, I appreciate you taking the time to come talk to me. You did good. Thank you. Thank you.